just the quality of some of this this gear you know I used to hear about it when before I started at Lee and there's such a sort of mystique about who the hell is Lee Fish and what do they do and and uh, now that I've I've kind of got the key to the door it's still just as exciting. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. I'm John Sussman. A brand is an intangible marketing concept that helps people identify a company, product or individual. People often confuse brands with things like logos, slogans or other recognisable marks, which are marketing tools that help promote goods and services. David Ogilvy, the godfather of advertising, defined brands as the intangible sum of a product's attributes. It's what it delivers and how it makes people trust a product. For an industry which is so reliant on trust as a means to build and maintain business, the fresh, wild-catch seafood sector has few known brands. There are fewer still that generate as much agreement about what defines quality when it comes to fresh fish. New Zealand wild-catch fishing company, Lee Fish, is regarded globally as such a definition of quality. Lee Fish is as much a story of provenance as it is quality. It's the story of a town, its people, the Pacific Ocean and their daily hunt for the best fresh fish. Lee is a small coastal community located approximately 100 kilometres northeast of Auckland, New Zealand. Tom Searle is the general manager of Lee Fish. Educated, erudite and passionate about the water, Tom's story echoes the ethics and commitment of Lee Fish. Yeah, sure. So my name's Tom Searle. I'm the, uh, the manager up at Lee Fish. We're, uh, we're a little fishing village located uh, about an hour and a half north of Auckland on the co- east coast of, of New Zealand. Yeah, so Leafish has uh, been around a, l- a very long time. We're um, dating back to 1957 when uh, when there was a group of fishermen fishing out of the harbour in Lee itself, um, frustrated with the, the port prices they were receiving it uh, down in Auckland. And so they, they got together and bought a piece of land um, and started smoking their snapper and selling it to Auckland themselves. Um, and then we fast forward a, uh, 20-odd years and, uh, yeah, before you know it, they were... They were exporting almost everything they caught. Um, so always, it's always been been around chilled products. So we very much uh, keep keep the fish whole and and put it on an airline. We don't own any vessels. All of our vessels are um, owner operators. Um, most of them have fished to leave for a long time. So we don't sort of review our fleet annually, anything like that. It's very much um, we're working with people that have supported us um, long term. Um, <clears throat> so there's about. Um, Probably about 25, 30 of us all up between the factory and admin, and, and we're um, in finance and management. And we're very, um, everyone's got to be prepared. It's, it's very flat management structure. You know, if, if you're short of staff, you just put your boots on and get out there and, and pack some fish. So um, it's rather than having like formalized, you know, meetings between the, the marketing manager and the production manager and the, this guy and that guy and sitting around on Zoom all day, it's more you actually you're having those ongoing conversations through the day because all of that information is held within sort of two heads on site. Um, so it's, it's quite refreshing in that respect is that there's just no, um, yeah, every, everyone's treated the same. We're all just one big team. Like many in the seafood industry, Tom's career was an extension of his love for the water. Like most male Kiwis, his heightened sense of the hunt drove him to pursue this love led to study, travel and eventually employment, all centred around the marine environment. I sort of grew up um, just crazy about about fishing, you know, making my own little lures as a kid and uh, 
just everything, every story I wrote or poem I did or whatever I had for school projects, you know, it was always this, my speech was on the different methods of fishing and the different species and um, we've got it fortunate enough to grow up with my grand, grandparents having a batch at Tutakaka which is uh, sort of uh, an hour, hour and a or two hours from, from Lee here further north on the coast out from Whangarei and it's a sort of the, the world's... Um, gateway to the Poor Knights Island, the Poor Knights Marine Reserve, which is sort of Jacques Cousteau's top 10 in the world dive sites, um, as well as a real game fishing mecca. So my grandmother, um, she held the men's and women's all tackle striped marlin world record for 11 years um, from a couple of years before I was born, she caught that. So we've sort of got the head mounted on the, the wall there and there's various other pescatarian bits and pieces hanging off the hanging off the walls and it's very much a, um, a fishing sort of place in town and my earliest memories are uh, that was just always the, the place you know just the excitement of getting up there um, and so that sort of followed me through really where I um, <clears throat> I went down to, to Otago I grew up um, south of Auckland out in uh, Papakura and Drury um, and uh, yeah went went to study in Dunedin ended up doing a master's in marine biology down there um, and sort of focusing on the aquaculture side of things with power or uh, black abalone. Um, and then got on the road, did, a, did me at my OE, um, based out of London, usual sort of Kiwi way, and there via Asia and back via Africa, and uh, had a real good look around and uh, actually got a job at the London Aquarium, was as close as I could get to seafood in London. And uh, But they were paying sort of peanuts, so I, I went out um, building, a, Dad's a builder, so I've always worked for him over the years and had a couple of years out of the industry um, after – Prior to that, I actually looked after um, some leases, some an oyster farm at uh, some oyster leases on Waiheke Island for Clevedon Coast oysters for Callum, um, and uh, then yeah, that was a good school holiday job for me as well. And then I came back and uh, yeah, ended up scoring a job with Sanford, working at the Auckland Fish Market. And uh, yeah, before long, I was sort of running that, running the um, the Auckland Fish Market, the tenancies there in the auction, um, and had sort of four and a half years there just learning learning a lot about the fishing industry and building relationships and getting to know a lot of the people that I'm still dealing with today. Um, and uh, then an opportunity came up to, uh, there was a factory manager position advertised at Lee and I just happened to be down in, um, down in Wellington at Tapapa um, at the, the annual seafood conference and someone mentioned it to me, it was sort of nine o'clock at night after quite a few beers and I raced back to my hotel rooms. I heard it was closing that night and just flicked through a little placeholder to say, hey, I'll have my application through tomorrow. And um, yeah, the rest is history. Really ended up up at um, um, working for Lee Fish. Certainly coming from the um, from the big, yeah, the, the big corporate side of the industrial catching and, um, and those sort of methods to something completely artisanal and small vessels and one crew and you know, I was. I, it took a while to get my head around because I was super excited, but I was also trying to work out why it was fifteen knots easterly. You know, not much, not much different to what I'd take my little tinny out of, and we didn't have fish. You know, and then once you start understanding the scale of the, um, the size of the vessels and and how how close to shore they fish and and how often they come back to port daily and and that sort of thing, um, it was a complete complete shift for me. Um, but I think just yeah, the, the amount of uh, the amount of care that went into it, and the, the longevity the, of the relationships, and how long people have worked alongside Lee, and the, the people we had sort of um, that the, the Greg had lining up to who wanted to fish to Lee, it was a real sort of um, yeah aspiration. So that that just made you feel really proud. So right from the beginning, I, I felt like I'd sort of come home. Really, it was just it fitted so well. And then in the last um, eighteen months, I've sort of become the GM there, and um, 
yeah, very much for me, it feels like uh, morally and ethically, it's at, it's the pinnacle of, of the New Zealand industry in terms of the way we um, <clears throat> the way we sort of care for our product and the whole the relationship we have with the environment and the whole sort of Maori worldview of Kaitiakitanga and um, yeah, so very very excited. We're just we're building a um, changing a few things around, building quite a, a fresh, young, exciting team, and uh, yeah, I think we've got a really really bright future. The Japanese infatuation for fish quality has had a global influence, not merely on cuisine, but the catching, handling and supply of fish. It's claimed that Japan gave birth to a wide variety of now worldwide fish catching and handling techniques. The forefathers of Lee Fish saw how these Japanese techniques could vastly improve the commercial return for their catch and sought counsel from Japanese fishermen to develop the long line fishing technique in New Zealand. Aside from producing the best quality versus other methods, longlining is also the most sustainable catching method and has the least impact on the environment. So Lee's been very much built on the catch method of longlining. It's still far and wide. Our, our, uh, most of our catch is caught by hook and line, um, and that's what we that's what we celebrate. That's what we think is the is the best way to catch uh, catch a product and keep it in the quality that we uh, that we yeah, maintain. Um, so. <clears throat> Back in the uh, back in the early '80s, or probably mid mid to late '80s, um, when the Japanese market was was just hotting up for us, um, the Japanese actually came out to Lee and got on boats and um, and spent time with our um, our fishers, who some of which are still with us, and others that have um, have retired and, and left their vessels now to their sons and moved through the generations. Um, but the Japanese came out and, and taught our guys exactly how they wanted um, the fish handled and and the whole uh, process of ikijimi, the traditional Japanese way, um, right through to slurrying and, and packing and handling and the care, the absolute care that they um, they put in the product. Um, and then, yeah, we at that point in time, probably late 80s, early 90s, I think uh, 90 plus percent of of Lee Fisher's longline catch, uh, which was, uh, we were 100% longline at that point, was all going into the Japanese market. Um, and then uh, after a while, that was that was sort of two days a week fishing, small volumes, high grading, pre sort of quota management system. The guys were, were at the pub the rest of the week sort of making more money than the doctors and dentists for two days a week work. You know, it was a lot of money flowing around and they were the sort of prices they were getting then are probably four or five times what they're getting now um however that was unfortunately short-lived um japanese uh came out with some country of origin legislation um labeling legislation whereby they were they were actually relabeling the, the fish clearly marked as new zealand fish as their own and selling it that way um and so that combination combined with the Japanese economy moving uh, the wrong direction um, meant that that market dried up very, very quickly, so we had to diversify. The world of seafood is constantly changing. Market demands vary by season, by market and by species of catch. The winds of change can blow hard and fast in the seafood industry, demanding a nimble business model that can adapt quickly. That was certainly a process. It went from needing to be really creative really quickly because of the speed at which the Japanese market sort of um, stopped working out for us and stopped being an option. So, um, yeah, the Leafish USA was formed up in, uh, in LA. So Richard Adlam, who heads that up, he uh, he came across from New Zealand Seafoods and formed a, a joint business with uh, with Leaf with Lee Fisheries at the time, which we're now called Lee Fish. So uh, it was a sort of uh, half and half shared arrangement. Um, 
and then yeah then same sort of model up in Europe with Daniel Christian um, based in Zurich and he looked after that region um, <clears throat> and then Australia we've we've tended to work with the, with the Paulos boys down the eastern seaboard um, and they do a, do a great job for us there so it's been uh, very much a the yeah loyalty is a real a really key um, value for us you know the people we work with um, rather than dealing with for instance uh, 10 different wholesalers in Sydney we're dealing with with one and we and we give them the power of that exclusivity but we expect a lot back from that and we, we want them to champion our story and our product um, and same goes up in the up in the offshore markets up in uh, in LA and um, across in Zurich and, and Vancouver and Canada and, and the, the rest of the other the corners of the globe the longline fisherman is a true hunter of his catch. As well as the fishing practice being low impact, the actual longline vessels themselves are smaller. Therefore, there's less environmental effect as the boats are low horsepower and much more fuel efficient in their operation. Longlining allows skippers to fully control and monitor their fishing practices. When certain areas are yielding smaller fish or non-target species, the fishers can easily reset their gear elsewhere and work other grounds. The guys on um, a normal, I guess we'll start with a, a standard day for a longliner, so they'll get up um, very early in the morning, depending a bit on the, the moon phase and, the, and tides, etc. as to when they think the best time to set is, because with longlining, obviously the fish have to be feeding. It's quite different to most other methods, where the, if they're there, you can scoop them up. Um, so there's, there's a lot of hunting involved, and so we, we do find that the guys are pretty, pretty, very clever when it comes to, you know, targeting a smaller snapper around Chinese New Year or a larger snapper for some other particular market sort of um, want or need. So they'll they'll head out early morning, <clears throat> um, set their gear, which takes uh, a good few hours. They'll they'll set between a thousand and four thousand hooks these days, sometimes five hundred. Um, and then they'll have a cup of tea and steam back to the start, and then start start lifting that, picking that line up. So, as the fish come aboard alive, they'll uh, they'll brain spike them, ikijimi the fish, so they're killed instantaneously and put into a, a slurry, so a mixture of salt, ice, and water, to try to get that core temperature down to close to zero as, as quickly as possible. Um, even that, there's a bit of an art to it. You, you can overdo it and um, and you know, wash out the good colour in the fish and sort of overdo it and Give it, give it wide eyes, um, but you also want to get that that gut really, really cold, so the enzymes aren't sort of enzymes and bacteria aren't burning through into the, the good flesh. Um, then it's lifted out and placed in. We use the little what we call icky bins, just the really small fish bins you see around. They're only sort of um, with ice and the bin. You're only talking fifteen kilos, so they're really small units with a lid on them. Um, so the smaller size unit you're handling, the, the better you can care for your product. Um, and then they just go into a, an insulated fish hole below deck. Um, and and uh, the guys, if they're catching well, they'll stop and pack their fish um, and then, then carry on with fresh slurries. Otherwise, they might um, haul their whole line and then they'll be back in port that afternoon. So um, if, they're, if they're further offshore catching, you're, you're um, targeting mixed species, so your, your tarakihi, your, your mawongs and your... Uh, Trevellies and um, scorpion fish and blue cod and red snappers and things. Then it's it's a lot longer days, or often they'll stay out at out at an offshore island or in a harbour overnight. Um, but the snap when they're when they're doing the, the regular inshore fishing, which is the majority of our catch, they're just out there for literally the day. Um, and as they come into port, we have a truck meet them and lift that fish off and and bring it back to Lee through the night. So depending. Boats are fishing anywhere from Tauranga um, in the Bay of Plenty through to um, 
to Hohorta in the far, far north. So it's very much the upper North Island and uh, the east coast. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, the, we have a, a, a fleet of, of trucks that are owned by a separate contractor and they'll, they work through the night to get the fish in, in our chiller by sort of 3.30 in the morning. And then the, uh, the processing team's there for, from just before four and our main sort of whole pack line from five. So generally we're working to airline cutoff, so we may have to have a truck leaving Lee at 7 or 8 in the morning with, the, for instance, the, the Naples or the Cyprus order. A lot of the European flights tend to have earlier cutoffs to meet connections through Asia. Um, <clears throat> and uh, that the, the graders are packing, uh, that they're looking at a list to see what boats got what product, and they'll know from their own experience and from the previous days who's got the right colour snapper for the more discerning market, etc., um, and what, what happens is this flows right the way through to how we pay the vessels. So rather than them getting a, an A or a B port price and having them make a, the ugly decision of, of sort of quality versus quantity, um, they're very much they can see on their um, pay advice for that specific unload. There might be 15 different, um, different prices that make up their average on the snapper. And so if they're, if they're taking more care, targeting a better fish, they'll get a, a much better average price. So the whole system encourages excellence. Um, our graders have a, a lot of have both worked on the water before and have a lot of experience. They'll often be able to look at a fish and tell straight away why why it doesn't why it isn't perfect, why the the way it's been handled. Or you might have a, a cheeky deckhand who puts an icky hole in the head of a of a fish that's actually drowned on the hook, and they just see straight through that. So there are yeah, there's a, a lot of a lot of IP in the brains of the of the staff on site. So they've actually. Like I'm, I'm sort of new kid on the block, and I've been there like 11 years now. So it's incredible how, how long and how, how um, again, it's just that same, same value of, of loyalty and longevity that the staff sort of really care for what they're doing and really proud of their work. Wild caught seafood is enjoying a renaissance of appreciation for just how special it is. As the global supply of wild fish becomes less, so too has corporate interest in the sector increased especially from those for who security of supply of great quality wild fish is an imperative. Yeah, that's right. It's been a certainly uh, um, quite a quite a big um, step change for Lee Fish. So we've gone from um, being a privately owned company until um, coming up two and a half years ago when uh, we went through a, a quite a long-winded sale process um, and ended up with uh, with Foodstuffs North Island, which is the um, large supermarket um, owner here cooperative in New Zealand uh, that look after they, they own the pack and save New World Foursquare um, stores and so <clears throat> we were if I go back slightly further we're jumping around a bit here but we we'd be around the barbecue you know you're chatting to chatting with mates and we're constantly getting those converse, those having those conversations where people would sort of put an oar in and, and give you a bit of stick and say well come on mate you know you're just like those lamb wankers you're putting all the good stuff on a on a plane out of here and, and you know us kiwis can't access it and that never felt quite right um so we started delving in food service um i think probably leafish nz is our food service business and they were formed about um about eight years ago i believe um, so then before long, we sort of had 300 restaurants on our books and, and long line fish is, is expensive, you know, so it doesn't quite work for the, uh, the fish and chippy or most of the bistro outfits, but it's more of a fine dining sort of white tablecloth, um, by the time that to, to make that price point work. So before we knew it, we had, uh, 42 of the Metro magazine in Auckland puts out of top 50 restaurants, um, once a year. And we, yeah, we had 42 of those 50 on our books within the first uh, two years, and then we were sort of supplying well outside of Auckland from the from the top of the north to the deep south. Um, 
So we felt really proud about that. And then we've, we've sort of, the transitions continued where we've actually now, we're actually now a retail brand. So with foodstuffs buying us um, more recently, as I said, two and a half years ago, uh, we're, we're now selling our product to, to Kiwis. It doesn't have to be the, you know, a special occasion, a wedding anniversary at the French cafe to be able to access leaf fish. You can go to the, the local supermarket and, um, and our whole fish is on offer there. Seafood is a global business. The big annual seafood shows in Boston, Brussels and Hong Kong are incredible showcases of pretty much everything and anything that swims. Through the oceans of wet, cold, sometimes smelly and slimy exhibits, it's hard to stand out. However, there's one exhibit which has become a beacon of excellence at all of these shows. The Lee Fish Display holds cult status amongst the tens of thousands of attendees at the seafood shows. For some, the sole reason of attending is to marvel at the quality of the fresh fish which has come from the most remote corner of the planet. Yeah, it certainly blew my mind um, getting out of out of Lee for the first time. The first show I went up to was the Hong Kong one, which is obviously much smaller, but just um, just the the fact that every single person it seemed in these huge exposition halls wanted to get a photo by it, and we'd always have a, a huge moonfish there, you know, the the pig, the big blue blue belly with the white spots and the red fins and we're, and at back at the factory end we'd always stitch up the guys whoever was lucky enough to go with the show and find the biggest one of the day you know I'd send a 50 or 60 kilo beast up there for the guys to kind of um, get it get up at, at five in the morning and lug it and set it up on the display after being out all night entertaining um, customers so it's uh yeah a, a lot of fun um and yeah it's same same went for uh for Boston I was just um absolutely blown away to get get that global perspective because Lee's a pretty small town and so you know I've, I've sort of traveled fairly widely through an OE and things but not necessarily with just with my seafood lens on so to get up there and see um, how widely regarded our product was in the in the offshore markets just really really blew my mind I was fortunate enough to to dine at uh, a, a sashimi restaurant called Sugarfish in Manhattan in New York um, with Miles from Lee Fish USA when the two of us were sort of on tour on our way um, from there across to or down to down to New York and back to Boston and um, yeah so that that just completely blew my mind eating our our snapper raw in, in Manhattan um, a couple of days after it had come out of the ocean somewhere up in Lee um, and and the guys there were just as excited as I was about it you know it was just incredible to see the yeah to see the uh, the enthusiasm for it and the, and so often we're getting texts which are relayed through our sales teams around the world um, asking oh you know oh sorry he's chucked the box away he wanted to know what um, who was the guy who caught the blue nose again and and where did he unload it and what's the skipper's name you know and getting these photos back of of blackboards which um, which really just that the true my own my own version of the the definition of provenance you know where it says oh today's gurnard fish of the day's gurnard it was unloaded in Tutakaka yesterday and the skipper's Jacob Drake you know and and the caught on the vessel Bonadier um, just really kind of yeah really gets you going it's fantastic. The Lee Fish business is a story of respectful evolution, their ongoing, unrelenting commitment to preserving the fisheries resource. Combined with the rigorous New Zealand quota management system, a key to the Lee Fisheries story is their ability to trace fish back to its origin, with each box carrying the fish's name and boat from which it came. Lee are at the forefront of driving authorities to improve the data library of catches to assist in managing the ongoing sustainability of their fisheries. The quota management system, or the QMS in New Zealand, is certainly is uh, by all yeah, all accounts is, is world leading. I think we've definitely 
been a bit complacent in recent years whereby you know we've been saying that for the last 15 or 20 years but we haven't really uh, moved ahead as quickly as some other nations so I'd say now we're in a group of, of others that are doing it just as well if not even better now um, I think the the biggest I think in terms of stocks we're, we're in we're, we're doing well particularly the stuff that we catch I don't um, we don't get involved in any of the deep water fisheries and things so I, I sort of can't speak for them but um, I, I think that the real challenge is that we're very information poor um, because science costs so much money and in New Zealand a lot of the science process the vast majority is funded by industry and so in the inshore when you're dealing with so many such a range of species and such um, small volumes really versus the say say like the ruffy or the hokey fishery um, snappers only you know four and a half thousand ton of commercial catch and they think that they estimate that recreational catch and snapper one fishery that we operate in is four thousand ton but we don't really know and so you know I've been working with MSC for years now to try to get them to look at a company certification for for the way we catch fish and spe- specifically for for snapper but the, there's just such a a massive void of, excuse me, a massive gap in the information that means we, um, yeah, we, we've got a lot of work to do there. And I think um, particularly the, and I wear both hats, you know, I get out spearfishing all the time and, and fishing and love taking my kids out on the boat. So I've, I don't, I feel like I can say this confidently, but I'd be more than happy to have a simple app where I logged my catch and, you know, you could have a, a $50 fine at the boat ramp if you hadn't done it. It'd be as simple as that. Um, but the, the, it's sort of a bit of a political hot potato and the government doesn't really want to face up to, to getting a, a grasp of how much is being taken out recreationally, even though commercially we have a really good understanding. And if we could get all of, we could bring all of that together, obviously we could, could manage our fisheries much, much more closely. The future for these is extremely bright. I think, you know, that we've, we're still in a position where we've had um, more snapper catch this last two years than we've had for the last probably more than 10 years, um, just in terms of relationships with iwi and other private quota interests and so we've we've uh, got slightly more access however we're still in a position where our demand massively um, out, outstrips our supply um, we only own about a third to a half of the quota we need to sort of spin the wheels each year so um, we, you know there's so much capacity there to there's so much room for growth but we're we're so constricted and I think that the yeah the demand for for good quality protein but particularly with with the story and and the the proof of traceability and, and provenance um, is just, yeah, it's, it's just ever growing. Um, and so, yeah, I think we're placed really, really well there. I, I think we, um, we're all, we'll always do a blend, um, despite what some people thought when foodstuffs first bought us and thought that, you know, the export would get shut off. I think we've just got it. It's a nice sort of hedging mechanism, having our, our finger in all markets um, and, and that whole dynamic of, uh, yeah, of the offshore high-value stuff helping out with the, the pricing domestically. And I think um, that, that that's probably the, that balance will, will continue into the future. And, yeah, we're, we're very excited. Like all hunters, fishing yarns can be long and many. Fishermen by nature in, are enthusiastic hunters and will forego common sense to chase the best fish. Maybe three years ago, I was fortunate enough to go up to the, the Three Kings Island, which are off uh, Cape Reinga, um, sort of 50 mile north of, of the tip of New Zealand, uh, with my uncle and cousin on his launch. And I'd sort of gleaned a whole lot of info I could off a couple of the commercial skippers and they'd done some homework. And between us, we felt like we had some intel, but we were running, a re- running fairly blind. Um, and anyway, it was just an absolute trip of a lifetime. We we caught a whole lot of big bass and uh, kingfish and so on. And then um, my 
I'd kind of planned to get up there and do some some spear fishing, knowing that it was yeah, everything's just super sized up there. And the time I got there, the water was just so it was really cold and dark and this eerie. And there's there's lots of great white stories up there. And so I was sort of wasn't wasn't jumping straight on in. And my younger cousin just said, "Oh, come on! I thought you were the spear fishing guy. You better get in." So suited up, got in the water, and within five minutes had a, a 44 kilo kingfish on the end of my spear and a yeah, fight of a lifetime. So that was uh, certainly was the, yeah, one I'll never forget. The Lee story can be broken down simply. It's all about care. Sustainable fishing, respectful handling, packing and grading, all in the shortest time possible from boat to customer. The outcome of this labour of care, whether it's in a kitchen in Auckland, Sydney, New York, Zurich or Hong Kong, is that nod of absolute respect from a chef who realises that he's using Lee fish. I think for me it's the people. Um, I, yeah, I absolutely, I spend, these days I spend most of my day on the phone um, and, you know, sometimes you think, oh shit, that hasn't been a very productive day, but those those relationships and particularly there's more of that at the moment than there is face-to-face for obvious reasons with the COVID carry-on. Um, but, um, yeah, I just, uh, I think the, yeah, the relationships, whether it's a, a staff member or a quota owner or um, an iwi partner or an airline or a freight forwarder, you know, we've just got such such a massive raft of amazing people, and um, they're all they're all just as important as as the next in terms of making our whole model work. And I think, um, yeah, that, that that's prob- that's probably the key thing for me. And I also just love. Um, getting my boots on and actually, you know, seeing and handling product and things. Um, I don't, I don't do it anywhere near as much. If someone listening to this from the factory might um, might give me a bit of stick on that comment for the rest of last year or so, but generally that was, uh, yeah, that's definitely been a real focus of mine. Is, is just getting in up to your armpits and uh, and and just seeing that the colours and the just the quality of some of this this gear. You know, I used to hear about it when before I started at Lee, and there's just such a like such a sort of mystique about who the hell is Lee Fish and what do they do and where are they even located and uh, now that I've, I've kind of got the key to the door it's pretty it's still just as exciting Lee is the story of a little fish who made it big in the global ocean by simply caring this is Fish Tales a seafood podcast a deep in the weeds production I'm John Sussman follow us on Instagram at fishtales seafood podcast or email us at fishtailspodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay tuned for more tales from beneath the surface of the seafood world every Friday on your podcast app.